Hey, Pawn family, welcome back to another episode of the Pawn Leaders Podcast. This is your host, Egal, and I'm super excited for this episode. I'm going to try to speak as little as possible in the intro because we have a long episode with Tim Latimer, who is a pioneer in the Canadian alternative finance industry. And when I mean pioneer, I'm talking um, car financing, I'm talking pawn shops, I'm talking payday loan, I'm talking a company he started called InstaLoans. Uh, he's the CEO of Cash Canada currently and the president and just so much knowledge in the next hour. It was like sitting through a, a leadership masterclass, which I've probably listened to this episode myself already three or four times and I hope you do the same. I do want to mention quickly our incredible sponsor, Podium. If you haven't jumped on the Podium wagon, you're missing out. You don't have the same amount of Google reviews that you would have with Podium and they also help you connect to your clients. So with that said, like I said, I want to go as quickly as possible. Tim speaks a lot about uh, his knowledge and his experience in the industry. After this episode, I thanked him a hundred times. He is one of the smartest businessmen I've had the opportunity to uh, speak with and learn from. So I hope you get as much out of this as I did. Here's my podcast with Tim Latimer. Hey everyone, my name is Igal Adado and this is the Pawn Leaders Podcast. A podcast to help you make more money, stress less, and live an epic life, all while working at the pawn shop. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's Happy to be here, you go. Honor to have you. Um, so many of the people in the pawn industry say, Please get Tim on. Please get Tim on. He's done so much, such incredible things. So thanks for taking the time. Ah, that's very kind of them, isn't it? Perhaps too kind. We'll find out. Yeah, okay. So we have we have a couple of things similar. One, obviously, we're in the pawn industry. Um, the other thing similar is that you run Cashco Financial. Uh, mm -hmm. and back in the day, I ran Cashco Pawn here in. Sydney. Isn't that? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I wonder which one is infringing on whose other's uh, naming rights. Yeah. You know, we have to look into that. <laughs> oh, now, now my brother's going to be upset. Right? <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. So Great in name. Good yeah. choice. So you're, you're in Canada, and if you can just tell the people who are listening um, how many uh, stores you run that you that you built, and then what Canada charges on a monthly. Yeah. You know, I've been in the uh, in the pawn sector and in and more uh, more accurately, probably I've been in the alternative lending sector for about 35, 40 years, and I've uh, built up a couple different businesses. Had been very, very fortunate and blessed. Started out uh, in the pawn business in the late 80s or mid 80s. Uh, built up a few stores, and then I sold out to a public company, and then took over the operations of the public company. Uh, so we, I, I ended up uh, sitting on the board of that public company and in 1995 I actually uh, after we had about 10 stores I fired myself we had a meeting and um, I often uh, uh, say it was kind of interesting because uh, we had the bank consultant there we had the major shareholder and uh, we had Tim Latimer the CEO and Tim Latimer uh, the uh, the the person and uh, uh, the shareholder and um, uh, we had a meeting with these four people at it, and we, the uh, consultant said, you know, what we really need to do is we need to fire Tim Latimer, the CEO, and uh, 
Tim Latimer, the shareholder, was the guy that had to go tell him that he was fired today. So <laughs> I got fi- I fired myself and went home. And uh, so it's, as my career moved on, I was still in the sector. I knew that I had um, I had a really good understanding of uh, you know being poor. I had grown up poor, and I I knew what it felt like. Had a lot of empathy for it, and I knew I appreciated the space. I I, I knew what it felt like uh, to say, "There for the grace of God go I." Yet, for any one of decisions that any one of us make in life, we could be on the other side of the counter, uh, sort of thing. So I ended up uh, being one of the first in Canada to get into. Uh, the payday business in Canada as a result of the pawn business. And I have to say, as a result of the pawn business, there was a couple other businesses that I got into also. When I stood at the counter and said, how could I help uh, when people were coming in, they would always come in and they'd have another problem, another problem. And I was trying to figure out, how do I say yes? How can I say yes to these people? And uh, they would come in and say, listen, I have a car accident I was in. Do you think you could give me some money on the eventual settlement of the car accident? And in the late 80s, I started advancing money on car accidents. And I actually still have that business going today. It's called Settlement Lenders. And it's been going now for about 30, 40 years uh, sort of thing because just standing at that counter and saying, hey, I have the opportunity to uh, to work with these people. This is the kind of the laboratory of life. What's the problem and how can I help? Um, with So I started that business. The other business that uh, started because of that was uh, equity mortgages or, sh- or short-term uh, second mortgages. The other business that started at that counter was payday loans. The other business that started, and I was long ahead of it, was the idea of buying gold off of the street. And I started doing that in the 1990s. And nobody knew at that time that people would actually send it to you in an envelope and you could pay the, send them back the money uh, sort of thing. So that one didn't actually succeed. But I did, my, back to my career in the in 95, I started one of the first payday businesses in Canada and I was able to grow it up to 100 stores um, by 2005 and a guy came along and he said, I'd like to buy that for you and I'll pay you cash. And so uh, you know, I said, thank you very much. And uh, I, I got out of the business and I thought I was actually out and wasn't going to go back in, but I found find myself very much. Uh, this is, this is my sector. This is my space in this space. I, I very much understand. And in 2009, as that public company was struggling as they tried to uh, pivot into, they had 15 stores or they had had as many as 12 stores. And then they tried to pivot out of that into the payday business as the payday business was getting more better regulated in Canada. And they had a failing and I ended up, I had lent them a bunch of money. And as they failed, I ended up taking over their bank position and taking over their the uh, operation with about uh, 180 employees in about 10 or 12 locations. And what we did then is... Um, we really worked hard on uh, how do we clean this business up and make it viable uh, with the 12 stores. Ended up uh, growing those stores up to about 18 stores. One of the things we always were, we're best practice junkies. And I totally think that um, it's it's all, you know, how do you, how do you improve from here? That was pretty good. Now, how do you do a little bit better next month? And so we kept on working on this best practice, best practices. And eventually we... Uh, uh, we grew the payday side of that business, which is called Cashco, up to about 70 stores. And we grew the pawn operation up to about 18 stores in Canada here. And in that uh, in that effort, um, 
a uh, John Thedford actually was one of the best practice junkie uh, gurus that we brought up from Florida. And John came up and saw our operations and he said, wow, I kind of like what you guys do up here. Do you think you want to um, go together with me and we'll do something? And uh, hence, we started the Smart Financial, uh, raised some money out of New York and we threw it all into a larger Smart Financial enterprise that is around about 75 stores right now. Uh, as it tries to consolidate some of the, um, you know, some of the ma and pa's out there, and the you know three and four stores, and bring up a higher level of management under a, a larger scale. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. The one thing that I just uh, I want to go over is in Canada, so that people know who are who are listening. What does what are the fees? Yeah, this is super interesting because as you get to see this sector uh, across all of North America, in Canada, it's not completely regulated. So the fees tend to be around 25 uh, per hundred with no cap on it at all. And, um, and that creates a really interesting thing because if you're in this business, I, and when I go down to the states and I see some of the southern states and some of the more restrictive uh, rate uh, states. I realize that they think of the business quite a bit different than we do in Canada here. I say that if you if you're in this business in Canada and you think of uh, uh, you really need to think of yourselves as being the poor man's bank or another uh, another man's bank or poor man's bank. And if you walk into a store in Canada here and you see a bunch of stuff up in the front, that's really not a very good indication of the success of the store. But if you do walk into the back of that store and you see a whole bunch of stuff in the back, then you know that you've uh, got a got somebody that understands that they are the poor man's bank and they're serving that community and making a difference in that community and getting that client to come back and all the stuff up the front is really all the default loans it's the last thing that they want to have because they really want to have that back full of stuff and have people coming in and out coming in and out when you when you see that when that much of your revenue when three quarters of your revenue can be generated from your loan book of business you approach this business completely different i think you really see yourself as almost being a community banker um, and uh, you you are you treat your clients with a high regard because you want them coming back to you. You want to earn their business and have them come back to you. And it's so amplified compared to what some of the some of the uh, states uh, that you might have a more of a balanced income stream coming from. It's very amplified. So you think of yourself in a much different uh, framework. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's it's a different mindset. You know, you're not yeah. just a pawnbroker. You're talking about your your you're a community banker, you're helping the community, you want them to come back consistently, as opposed to making money once, you want them, it's all about the lifetime. Uh, really, the and the lifetime value of a client all of a sudden becomes hyper, uh, the, the understanding around that becomes amplified. And the interesting thing is you start saying, well, it, the, you let the you let the business take care of itself and all of a sudden you change the parameters. When I go down to the States, it's a lot about making profit, but when you're doing the business from the other standpoint, it's about doing good. Uh, and if you do good, you'll do well, the business will take care of itself. So how do you do good first and, and let the business take care of itself. And when you serve with, from that, uh, I want to call it that noble cause kind of position, you'd be surprised how many people are attracted to you compared to the one that is just always worried about the bottom line. And it does change the culture in the organization and makes people attracted to it because all of a sudden you are focused on making a difference in the community rather than just about making profit. And so that attracts a certain amount to it. And I do think this, if you're in this business and you are uh, not putting doing good before doing well uh, in the way that you 
are uh, sharing the business. I want to call it the tone from the top. You, the principal up there that's talking. You, the leader up there. If you're not, if you're not changing the game around and doing it the other way around, saying, "Hey, uh, the tone from the top is this. I am sharing this. We're going to do good, and then we're going to uh, doing well. Will take care of itself." Then what's going to happen is, is the outside the community is going to take a look at you. In even the community that you, I think you serve is going to take a look at you, and they're going to think you're taking advantage of them. And you get names like you're a predator. You get names like uh, you get the, the bad community kind of sentiment around you. And that's the problem. And I think our, our sector needs to grow up a little bit. And we start, we need to recognize that we're in a completely privileged kind of position where we get to serve the underbanked. We get to serve the working poor. We get to serve uh, the, uh, the near poor in the community. And that comes with an absolute privilege, not with... Uh, something to be taken advantage of. It comes with, uh, when they when they come in, I, I say this often, we're one of the unique uh, businesses out there that people come in and they share their lives with us in a heartbeat. They, they tell us their story, what's going on with them. There's only th- two other occupations out there that people are that quick, quick in sharing their lives, and that's a complete privilege. And one is hairdressers and the other one is hookers, and I can't do either of those things. So this is the only one uh, that you can get that kind of connection with. We work in that laboratory of life where we get to see all of this stuff. So we need to treat that with a high uh, regard and a sense of privilege rather than condensation and judgment. And I, I was, you know, I, I challenge our people to say, listen, 10 people come in and uh, I want you to say yes to all of them. Say, figure out to help all of them. Say yes to every one of them. And uh, and then what happens in this industry in the beginning is, as the rule of thumb comes in play, is that about uh, two out of 10 won't keep their promise in the fashion that they gave it to you. If you're in the payday side, they're coming in and they say, I'll be back in 10 days to pay you. And in 10 days, they don't. If you're in the pawn side, 20% don't keep their commitment to pick up their stuff, even when you extended yourself ex- extreme for them. But if you if you allow yourself to concentrate on the two that don't keep their commitment rather than concentrate on the eight that did keep your commitment, yeah. you will go upside down in this business and you'll be condescending. It's the MBA comes in and says, I now know how to run this business. He says, I figured out those two. One's got a mustache, one's got glasses on, bring the next 10 in. And he says, don't lend to the guy with mustaches and glasses. So you don't lend. Now you lend to the eight. But the rule of thumb always comes in. You lend to the eight, 20% won't keep their commitment in the fashion that they gave it. And when that happens is now it's 1.6, you can't have 1.6 of people. So uh, now it's two out of eight. So the MBA says, listen, it's the guy with the mustache, the guy with the glasses, the guy with the earring and the tattoo. Let's line 10 more up. We'll take those out. And you can see how this completely goes downhill from there. So the deal is, is you've got to figure out how to say yes to all of those 10 and recognize that two aren't going to keep their commitment in the fashion that they gave it. And that's all right. Eight will and celebrate the eight because that will build you a huge business. And I think that's our sector is kind of missing that we, we aren't, um, we aren't grateful for the opportunity to serve the underbanked, the unbanked, the working poor, the near poor, the unrespected. And instead, we're a little bit condescending. We're a little bit standing there as if we're patronizing, we're patronizing, we're telling them what to do. And instead, we need to be grateful. Uh, and, you know, I almost, 
one of the things in our best practices, uh, best practice junkies going all over the place saying, okay, well, what are you doing and how can I find, uh, pick a little uh, gold uh, nugget out of this and bring it home and share it with everybody. And one of the best practices I found in Aruba when I was in Aruba uh, at a pawn business in Aruba is he had an attitude of gratitude department and he had a lady sitting beside his office and her job every day was to call people up and thank them. Just thank them for coming in and giving us a chance to serve you today. We appreciate that very much. Didn't ask anything else. I'm just calling you to thank you. And that that act of selflessness, that act of, oh, are you looking for anything? Did you want me to? No, 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 no. I'm just calling you to thank you. And listen, you picked up your stuff today. I just want to thank you for doing that. And if you ever need us again, I hope that you can make a choice to give us a chance again and maybe uh, give us a chance to help you out again. We'd love to be able to do that. That attitude of gratitude, that tone from the top, that department that said, we, you're that important to us that we want to phone you and thank you. That's something our clients don't get all the day. That's an attitude that's not shown at our counter. And that's an attitude that the community doesn't get to see uh, what, we, what we do. They judge us very harshly outside of the community. And if you don't want to be judged that harshly, then I think you need to carry that attitude. Otherwise, you will be listed as a predator and maybe you should be. Yeah. My father, um, who I think was one of the best pawnbrokers I've ever met, who now has Parkinson's and dementia, always taught us, he's like, two rules to winning this game, Nicole. One, care about your customer. Like, love your customer. Yeah. And two, yeah. the community has to love you over your competitor. And if you give yeah. back to them, if you give back to the community, that's how you win. And I remember I was a president of the local business association. My brother and I always gave back to the community. And my father just kept on saying, you got to just keep giving. Just keep giving. Yeah. And I think that was how we won. That's how we grew. I completely, that's how you become the community bank. You keep on giving. And I, I call it the law of reciprocity. Your dad, it sounds like a wise man that spent a lot of time in the pawn business. The law of reciprocity, I explain as being this. It's the idea of giving without the expectation of return. It's the selflessness of saying, hey, how do I make a difference today at the counter? How do I help you move up that credit ladder? Maybe you won't even have to use me in the future. And that would be wonderful. Could I celebrate that you don't have to use me? You're back to conventional credit and you don't have to come here anymore, I'm happy to be here and happy to serve you. But there's so many people that are standing in line. Take what you need, leave with, leave, only take what you need, leave the rest for the next person in line. And I'm happy to be here. But if you move back up the credit ladder, great. And then you encourage them and give back to them in all sorts of ways so they can move back up that credit continuum. And I think that selflessness, that law of reciprocity, I giving without the expectation of return, when it shines at that front counter, you see it shines in that culture. And when it shines in that culture, you see it shine in that business. And when it shines in that business, that business succeeds. And that's what it is about um, uh, putting purpose before profit. That's what it is about doing good before doing well. And when you can get those things and act on them in in small, unexpected ways with genuineness and sincerity, I think you you move the needle. I love that. I have so many questions going on in my head right now. Um, Tim, my first question is, do you think that compassion is more available to you because of how you grew up? You mentioned in the beginning of the, of the interview, no. you grew up poor. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, I would say yes. Did I enter? Did I jump in on the question? I'm sorry. That was a question. Yeah. yeah. They say you you... You get uh, two ears and one mouth, and you should use it in those in those portions. I'm often <laughs> no, don't. So, so really uh, I grew up poor, so that definitely gave me appreciation and an empathy, an empathy. But 
it didn't it didn't give me the passion and i actually think this is a for want of uh, for want of, uh, and we hear our le- young millennials say, I want something I'm passionate about. And really the answer is, is go get passionate about something. And, uh, and when I actually, when I, when I worked really hard, I think this business is full of a lot of characters and should be full of a lot of character. And the, when I went and stopped working on trying to make Tim rich, but started trying to figure out how to make Tim the best Tim that he could be. When I figured out, I, this is what my character will stand for. This is who I will be, and this is how I will behave, and I will check these things off. This is what it means for me to be considerate. This is what it means to be me to be bold. This is what it means to be me to forgive. Uh, this is what it means to, for me to forget. When I got things like that straightened out in my mind and held them close and dear to me, when I learned that, and I have to say, I would say I, I read a lot of stuff. And when it came to character, the one book that stood out and I held tight to it and uh, still to this day, and I give out books all over the time, all the time, was the uh, uh, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I live it, uh, breathe it, diet. But when I use that and I generated who I was, uh, sort of thing, out of that generated a passion. And uh, it was that passion that we were able to use to build the building blocks of going forward. What is it? What are the building blocks? Companies spend, especially entrepreneur operations, I think they spend so much time. And listen, I am that entrepreneur, started absolutely with nothing, looked at the drawer, opened the darn drawer. There's four people standing in line. I don't even know where they came from. There's $300 in the till. Okay, what do we do here? (laughs) You know, take what you need, leave the rest because there's two other guys behind you here, you know, sort of thing, right? when when so I started with nothing, uh, sort of thing. But when I when I really got a hold of character, when I really got a hold of my sense of purpose, when I really got a hold of my mission, hey, I'm going to build the other man's bank. I'm going to help five thousand people become more, uh, sort of thing. When I started setting some of those things in front of me, when I brought those things, that sense of purpose to the company, when I said, listen. Um, we have to develop a sense of purpose that we can say in eight words or less that defines who we are and how we go forward. And that was the first thing. That was the first building element that we need. And we said to ourselves, okay, here at Cashco, it's about providing relief today and hope for tomorrow. And we found relief for today is super simple to do. That's giving a loan to anybody. That's not so difficult. But when you're standing at that counter, when you're standing in that store and you're trying to define hope for tomorrow for somebody that's in front of you, that you're saying, how do you move back up that credit continuum without being lecherous, without being condescending, without being pandering? That's a real challenge. That's a compelling piece. That's a making a difference piece. And we found that when we talked about hope for tomorrow and we started building around hope for tomorrow, that there were so many elements you could make a difference with people. And there were a thousand little ways uh, sort of thing for, you know, and then some of them were in, in larger ways. We just, um, but we've, we've done a whole bunch of things and it's a hope for tomorrow peace that is the noble cause that keeps your employees wanting to be engaged, that keeps everybody wanting to be there and make a difference uh, sort of thing. And it's that, it's that piece that you got to celebrate. So we built that. The other piece that we built best practice junkies that we were is we, uh, took Jim Collins' uh, piece on uh, good to great, 
And we took his idea of big, hairy, audacious goal, his BHAG, and we placed a BHAG in front of us. And I've now I've been placing BHAGs in front of me for 20 years in front of people and saying, hey, this is where I think we're going. And or working with the staff, with our people to say, what would a big, hairy, audacious goal? What is so, what's about 10 or 12 years out in our future that even if we were the very, very best, even if we were darn good at it, uh, sort of thing, we'd only have a 60 or 70% chance of achieving it. It's that big, that hairy, that audacious of us to even think of that. What could that be? And challenge ourselves to put that down on paper and look at it and talk about it. And then the last piece that we did is, um, and this was from Vern Harnish and uh, Scaling Up, but Vern also does... um, a whole bunch of other stuff in the Scaling Up book. So if that's not everybody's book, Bible, to grow your business, you should be getting Vern Harner's book and absorbing it as needed. Uh, sort of thing. His first book was, the, uh, I think, Rockefeller's Greatest Habits or something like that. But the, ne- the next one, he says, throw that book up because the next one's the only one. And what he does in the next one is he references all the other best practice junkie material around. And he's not taking claim for anything. He's saying, he's, here is the stuff I found. So it's a great resource book. But the next one was set of core values. And I had always lived by a sense of uh, values. But in that book, it helped us with core values of putting core values out in front, and then defining how you live by core values. It was when we took those three elements is when we took that sense of purpose, and we laid on top of that sense of purpose, that, um, uh, that that BHAG, hey, this is the BHAGs. And then we laid on top of that, this is how we're going to behave to each other. It was that that it was that that gave us a vision, and then what happened is is we took that vision and we started living it day in day out, day in day out, and that's what gave us the culture. So the interesting thing, the very very interesting thing, is this drives our organization every day and is driven. It is the reason that ATB said they would come and stand beside us, a predator lender, and make a petty loan like uh, make a a meaningful bank account like nothing else in North America. It doesn't exist anyplace else because when they come and stood beside us, they said, "I." They came to our office. They said that we were we weren't out there telling society at all. We were just staying to ourselves. And they came and they said. You guys can't be a paid lender. This is amazing. This is this is so consistent with our 94-word story that we think banking can make a difference. What do you want? And they gave us they gave us a code name called Firecracker, and they stood beside us for a year, and they put all of their software into it, and they built us this most amazing account, including an everyday use account that has an overdraft on it for people that are in the underserved, un, the uh, unrespected, underbanked, and they gave us a savings account so people could start putting money away because one of the major problems with our society today is we don't have savings accounts anymore for the people in the on that. 10 rung ladder and the one to five on that 10 rung economic ladder. We don't have savings accounts. We tell them if we don't, we don't even tell them when I was young, my parents told me, Tim, you need to have a checking account and a savings account. I don't know why I had to have a savings account because I didn't have any of that stuff. But, <laughs> but it, was a, it was a concept that they were sharing with me. It's this idea that you needed to be saving. And we kind of, and then I had to go down to the bank and open up a savings account. When I had the damn thing, I didn't have anything in it. But yeah, I, I had it in my mind that I had to have that savings account. We don't tell our kids that anymore today. We tell them you need to go down to the bank and open up an everyday use account. And if something happens, you need to have a visa. 
Yeah. Not a savings account. Yeah. We're not teaching them that. And so hence, the people on the lower rungs, the one to five of that 10 rung economic ladder, they don't even have a place to put it. If they don't have a cookie jar, and that's too easy to go put your hand in the cookie jar, they got nothing. They don't have a place to save their money. And that's, was a, hu- that's a huge fa- failing uh, that we've done in society by not by not uh, teaching our people that, hey, you got to have this kind of stuff. And it, and it is the people that we serve. It's those one to fives. It's we serve them in the pawn business. We serve them in the payday business. We serve them in the alternative lending and the consumer high interest consumer lend business. We don't have the instruments that could get them out of that. And when um, I went to the bank, and you got me going now, didn't you? <laughs> when, we, when we went to the bank, the bank said, you, this is unbelievable. And so we made the most amazing account in North America. And that's what we're actually delivering in the province of Alberta. And we delivered it. We're delivering it because of three elements. And these are the three elements I think that um, I would call them the leadership elements that are missing in most pawn shops today and don't come from the tone from the top. The leader doesn't have it yet. And if I, my challenge is, is he needs to get it uh, sort of thing. But those three elements that uh, we developed was that sense of purpose that here's our values and here's our big hairy audacious goal and then we're going to live and we're going to live and die by them and we made we made up little accordion cards with them we made playing cards with them we did all sorts of things uh sort of thing and that becomes a story uh and that becomes the flag that the leader in that organization carries with them all the time he says this is what we're about this is how we do this game and now i rest I think that's incredible. I actually had the honor of hearing Jim Collins speak live. uh, Oh, yes. On trade leadership, which was incredible. Um, A couple of things that you talked about. One, I want to make sure that there's clarity in the fact that those who are listening understand that you actually got a bank to offer services uh, to your customers. So you kind of partnered with a bank. And that's unheard of in North America because banks call pawn shops predatory lenders and payday lenders predatory lenders. So just yeah. doing what you did that BHAG was outstanding. I can't imagine, you know, um, a bank going to a local pawn shop or, or chain saying, hey, you guys are doing such incredible work. We want to partner with you to open special accounts for these underserved people. But I think it's because of that compassion and that mission that you built that aligned with what they wanted to do that said, you guys are giving back. You guys have that mission, the vision, BHAG, let's, let's rock and roll, which was Outstanding. I just want to make that clear for everybody listening, uh, just in case it wasn't. Now, let me ask you this question. You've got the palm broker who's, uh, uh, you know, got one shop, two shops, three shops, and you're talking about, you know, putting the flag in the dirt um, and, and running with it, being the leader and creating this story and this, uh, this mission. Um, I think a question might come up is, how do you um, give that passion to, to them? And I think you kind of talked about it, but I really want to focus on this. How do you... Uh, insert that passion into them just like you have that passion on a daily yeah. basis. Yeah. You know what happens is, uh, I love, you know, that what you measure improves. These are kind of standard uh, kind of things and that what you can self-measure improves and that what you measure instantly improves and all this kind of stuff. What happens is people get stuck in uh, in the management yin and yang um, is uh, how do I do things efficiently or how do I do them uh, uh, faster or how do I do them right? The the yin and yang of a sense of urgency versus a sense of disciplined execution. Which one am I doing? And this is 
constantly management uh, strategy. And what, what management puts on top of that is being client-centric or what they call client-centric uh, sort of thing. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. If you are managing a store or a couple stores and you're managing MBWA, management by wandering around, if that's what you're doing, then it is about how do I get more efficient? How do I do all of that? But there is a limit. There's a span of control for uh, MBWA. There is a, you can only do MBWA for as far as you can see. And the span of control for most of us is maybe 12 people that are, you know, direct reports. Maybe we can do one, two stores. If we're really, really good and we have some decent management, we can do four or five stores, but now we're done. We just can't, or we're exhausted, or we just don't want to do more. Okay, I got four or five stores. I got enough headaches. And because I'm doing two things, one is I've, I don't have enough systems and controls in place. Uh, so because so because I'm doing too much MBWA management by wandering around, I've got a limited span with bandwidth, and this is it. I got geography. I got to drive here. I got to do there. And the other thing is um, uh, that you uh, you have is. Now I lost a train there, but you've you've lost you you don't have the next thing that you need in order to grow the business, and the next thing that you need to grow the business is not about disciplined execution or a sense of urgency or being client centric. The next thing is step out of management and get into leadership, and leadership is completely different. Leadership is about people. It's recognizing that your business will now be built by people and not you, and it's getting it's getting away from your ego and putting them in front of your ego and letting your ego go and 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 disciplining yourself to never never come in and talk about you and your ego and all the stuff and everything like that's the last story anybody wants to hear uh sort of thing you want to talk about how if you, if they are going to build your business your job from that day forward is how do i build people i need to now be amazing at building people not at building business because if i build people people will build the business so how do i get how do i get amazing at building people. And so how you get amazing at building people is you become a leader of people. And to become a leader of people, I think this is where you have you, these pieces that I've been talking about. You need to have these pieces. If you want to get to 10 stores, 12 stores, 20 stores, 50 stores, if you want to have 500 employees report to you uh, sort of thing, then you have to be up there waving a flag and doing some stuff. And so here's the pieces that are leadership. So remember, I talked about management. Management is sense of urgency, discipline, execution and a and a a a really uh high center i hate clients mean everything to me being uh, being client centric leadership are these three pieces it's a vivid vision that's where you need that that sense of purpose you need that BHAG, and you need the core values the second thing if you're doing leadership is you have to find the best of class. You have to find the best people, absolutely the best people that are right fitted for the role that you're doing, because you don't have to do as much with them if you've got the right person in that role. If And the last, the best, the worst thing you can do, the highest level of poor leadership is keeping the right person in the wrong role for five years. That's bad. You need to be more mature about it and say, listen, you know, this is maybe not the right role for you. Let me see if I have a better role for you. But if I don't, my better level of maturity is to let you go and find a place that you'll be even better happy. So let me let me be mature about this. Let me and say, how do we do this? And where, where should we do this? Because I want the best for you. It's that it's that, hey, it doesn't matter how inconvenient it is to me. I want to make a difference for you today uh, sort of thing. And that 
discipline to do that will get you the best people in the highest role. I, so that's the second thing. First is you need the vivid vision. The second thing is you, you need the best people. But the third piece, and entrepreneurs have so much trouble with this, is you need to have robust communication. And robust communication is so difficult for so many people. They think I told you once or, hey, I told you I did this. And they go through the school hard knocks. I call it the school hard knocks where, hey, uh, you know, when you first get into business, I call, uh, every time you make a mistake, it costs you $500. And you say, oh, that's my tuition fee in the school hard knocks. And so then you go, uh, you know, pretty soon it starts costing you $5,000. Now you hire somebody and they are, they come in and human nature being at what it is, you tell them that, hey, you shouldn't do this, but they go and take the damn class themselves again. And now all of a sudden you're paying their tuition fee in the school hard knocks. And if you're paying their 500 bucks. And so you have to be really careful to say, listen, I don't mind paying. And literally, I'm happy to pay that $500. All I'm asking is that you learn on the sec by the second and third time, not the fourth and fifth, and be such a slow learner as I was. And the reason is, is because we're building people, and eventually, they're going to start taking lessons. And their lessons are going to keep on going as you grow that organization. There's going to be people that take lessons that cost $10,000, and it comes out of your pocket. You should be grateful for it. Say, how do we learn from that? What, what could we do better next time? Especially if they're right-fitted people, if you've got the right-fitted person in there so um you gotta you gotta you gotta take that to the next level my i at one point lessons start costing me a hundred thousand dollars i want to try to learn a little bit faster but i we don't do blame around here anymore we we say let's do um you know how do we do one percent better the um autopsy without blame in fact we started keeping a spreadsheet around here and saying let's just uh Let's just do blame by rotation. We'll just, whose turn is it this time? And then we can just kind of move on, you know, sort of thing. What's there to learn from this is what's the most important piece uh, sort of thing. Because now we're talking leadership. We're not talking, how do I do this business better? It's how do I lead better and build more people and build bigger people? And if you take that perspective, if you say, I have to have a vision, uh, a vivid vision. If you say, I have to have the best people. And if you say that I have to have robust communication uh, sort of thing, I have to have, I'll talk without blame I have to be able to share with everybody and empower them to make a difference if you take that position you grow people and people will grow your business and they will take care of management and they will take care of disciplined execution and they'll take care of a sense of urgency and they'll take care of that client and your tone from the top will build a big business and I think that's what a lot of us entrepreneurs out there especially the entrepreneurs that are doing MBWA my challenge to them is come on step up be a leader come in today Put on something that's a completely appropriate. I wear a suit and tie. I wore a suit and tie when I stood at the counter because I knew that made a difference uh, sort of thing. When that lady came in with that carrot and a half diamond ring, she wasn't so anxious about leaving it with me as the guy with the blue, the blue jeans on, the sweatshirt on, and the you know, the loop that he's, come on, seriously, guys, you know, gals, this is a real business. Stop that. You're doing a difference. You're making a difference. Make a difference for her and stop saying what's in it for you. Stop saying, how can I help you uh, sort of thing? And that's leadership. Come dressed appropriately. Make a difference in the sector. Make a difference in the space and make a difference for the people that work for you and the people that come in and use your service. And that's what leadership in this business. And that will change the sector. And uh, we won't be called you won't be called a predator anymore. I wouldn't be called a predator anymore. And we need to change the sector. Okay. Yeah.
Now what did I do? I I feel like I'm sitting in a in the master's class of leadership. This is awesome. <laughs> so let's let's take it a step back. Um, it's in my belief that in order to be a leader at work and talk about and do what you said, like uh, vision, the uh, build the best people, uh, and have this uh, epic communication. There's a sense that we also need to have, or I believe it's a must that self leadership has to be involved as well. Right? We have to have a vision for ourselves. We have to be able to communicate with ourselves and our loved ones so we don't get to work. And, and the saying that I have is leading with baggage is misleading. Yeah. And so how do you, Tim, deal with you know, personal life, um, either being able to separate what happens or leading in that sector the same way that you lead in the professional sector? You know, I had uh, I have an awesome wife. She's a Polish princess, uh, sort of thing. And quite literally, she says that. And she she didn't like the business that I was doing in the sector that I was in. She said, "But listen, Tim, you can do, go and do whatever you want to do. You you uh, have to take the kids to school at eight thirty in the morning. And you have to be home at six o'clock at night for supper. I'll have supper on for you at six o'clock at night, and you can't work the weekends." Okay. So we begin to have four children. I didn't know what six o'clock meant until I was came home at 6.02 and I understood 6.02 is not six o'clock and you need to be home at six o'clock. That's our deal. And so I had to have my Polish princess, I had to have a sense of discipline. I'd ha I couldn't work on the weekends. I had four children. You cannot work on the weekends. You need to be here to take this and this and this. Okay, if I can't work on the weekends, I, had, I was an entrepreneur. I had business. I didn't have systems. I didn't have ed controls. I didn't have administration. I didn't have metrics, KPIs. I didn't have any of that. On the weekends, I did have a guy that was pretty good. And, you know, I said he was my 10% silent partner. The reason he was made my 10% silent partner because on the weekends he was stealing 10%, maybe 20 because that was 10 overall sort of thing. So I had that. So my wife uh, was a big part of saying you must have discipline and we need to have a blended family life. And if you can't do that, you can't do this uh, sort of thing. So that was the first thing. But the second thing that was really monumental, you know, I made my first mill maybe by 30, 31. And I was really focused on being rich because I grew up poor. But at that point, I also understood what it felt like to be on the other side of the counter. There for the grace of God go I. I know what it feels like. And all of a sudden, I really wanted to be the best Tim Latimer I could be and not. The rich was all right. And, you know, I made more and I've lost lots. Uh, embarrassingly so. But the, the, the point that... I got was, okay, I got to build Tim Latimer. And that's where all these books on, uh, are not no longer on how do I make more money? It didn't, it, it was, it was books on how to be the best me. It was books on character. It was books on, uh, more philosophical, deeper thinking. And there's a whole genre of them out there. It was interesting because by my forties, I started reading books on more, uh, mysticism and, uh, spirituality, uh, sort of thing. But in my thirties, I really focused on being the best me. And the book that really became primal was, uh, seven habits and the seven habits. Uh, I, and I actually, if I reach over here, I see if I can do this. So Tim's reaching over to the, the back of his desk. And if I reach over behind me, I can pull out, and here is my mission statement, and you'll see. Wow. And it's been sitting with me, and one of the things on it says, you know, my principles are the golden rule. What you give is what you get. Love thy neighbor. My roles in order are take care of myself personally. 
uh, my role as a husband, my role as a father, my role as a friend, and then my fourth role, in order of importance, is how you write these down, is to be a businessman. And I am in the business, and what, Ed, what is my role in that business? I'm in, the, I'm in the business of helping people get more out of life. I am being an example. I do not push. There is an abundance of people to help, and I have an abundance of help. I'll help 5,000 in the next five years. My goal is to touch lives, to affect the world, to simply change it. And then, and this is my mission statement, and it's still here behind me because my brain needs washing, and this is what I washed it with. Uh, then it says... My reward is to witness and enjoy the unique contribution that they make to this world that I may someday say I touch the hand of a man or a woman that touched the heart, uh, that I touched the hand of a man or a woman, the mind touched the heart of a man or woman that changed the world and doing so be able to say I made a difference. I had a part to play. So there we are. That's my business. And my corporate goal after that was to develop the other man's bank, helping people with their short-term cash problems, and encouraging them to affect their lives in a long-term life strategy so as to increase their quality of life by my belief in service, excellence, and the individual so as to increase their quality of life for all stakeholders, customers, employees, shareholders, and business affiliates. And there you have the essence of Tim Latimer. And just obviously a lot of people are listening and not watching this, and it's on a raggedy piece of paper that's been folded many, many times sitting there. Um, yeah. And what's inspiring about this, Tim, is, uh, and, it, and it gets me emotional, is a lot of times that we forget to write our mission statement and we just think about making money and not making a difference. And one of the biggest complaints in the pawn industry is I can't find good employees. But with a leader like yourself, with a mission statement that's so uh, clear and disciplined, I think that people, and I'm sure you guys have you know, uh, hardships finding people, but once people find out who you are, um, they want to be there. And, and I'm going to tell you this. I reached out to, um, to Deanna Machado. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, she's worked with you for a long time. And I said, hey, I want you just to give me a little bit of, of background uh, about Tim. And she basically said, um, you know, uh, what did she say? She basically said, the attitude of gratitude, um, it is because of him I am who I am today. And he was a mentor and such an incredible leader. That's paraphrasing. And when you have somebody like yourself who's taken on, A, the work of yourself, that's what Paul Leader is all about. It's, you know, make more stress less and live an epic life. It's live that epic life. It's work on yourself and then lead. So I love that. Um, how do you deal with uh, curveballs that come at you? You know, when we we're talking such inspiration, motivation, discipline, mission, how does Tim Latimer deal with curveballs that come at you? We, uh, we're in, uh, for 41 years, we had voted in, in Alberta, a democratic-like government, a uh, conservative, we called them conservatives here, and they're very, oh, sorry, a Republican-like government, sorry, I'm not as uh, clear as I should be, Republican, they're very uh, business-friendly sort of thing, and then all of a sudden, accidentally, because they became so arrogant and uh, self-serving that we had a vote about four or five years ago, about five years ago, and in a backlash of a protest vote, we accidentally voted in a socialist government, and I, it was 
on the far left side, the extreme left side of the socialism called NDP government. And the NDP government said in their throne speech that they were going after the petty loan sector. And I had 500 employees at that time. And what did that mean when they were going after the petty loan sector? And they commissioned a study and they had an uh, academic uh, do a study and the academic phoned me up, Ellen is her name, and I didn't know her. I got to know her and I said, Ellen, I think we serve the working poor, the near poor. I think we do these things and we're trying to make a difference uh, sort of thing. And I don't think, I think there's a need for us in society. I don't think that uh, I think choice is more important than what's being what's being suggested here, and that we there is some problems inside of the sector, but eradicating the sector isn't the way to go about it. And she wrote an amazing academic report saying there's different groups of people that these people are serving, and there's a need, and we need to get them around the table. And the first thing we need to do is, as she said, stop calling them names. And the second is, is we need to get them around the table. And third is, we need to recognize that there's a there is a need and figure out how to do it better, give more choices. And I that was an amazing study. And she released the study on a Friday afternoon. She sent it to me and she phones me in a panic about an hour later saying, don't release it, don't send it out anywhere because the government has asked me not to release that report because they're coming out with something next week and they don't want that report out there. And so I didn't think so much of it until the following week when the government came out with their new uh, piece of legislation and the legislation was called an act to end predator lending and they were going after the sector and they were giving the sector four months and they reduced our income stream by 86 percent in four months in from august 1st until november until december 1st and that's a curveball when you got 500 employees what do you do and I have to say that, you know, I've had many, many curveballs as you do if you've been doing this long enough. You know, uh, I think I love cliches. And I think the one that uh, I always reference is this too shall pass. And, uh, you know, that one day in the future, we will laugh about uh, it. We'll be sitting around a campfire. We'll be talking about it. Could be even six months or 12 months from now. And we'll be laughing about it. So if we can be laughing about it in the future, why today? Can we not be a little bit calmer? This too shall pass. But I have to say, I wasn't sure that the act and predator lending, this too shall pass in the fashion that I would be laughing about it. However, I stuck true to our sense of purpose. I stuck true to our BHAG. I stuck true uh, to our core values. And I have, uh, it's just amazing out of all of that, when that, when that, provincial government bank came to our place and said, my goodness, I cannot believe what you're doing. We're going to come along beside you and make a difference. And you know what? They lent us $40 million. They built that thing and they allowed. I didn't have the money to switch out from the payday business into at $450 from the pawn business at an average $100 to a installment loan product at $2,500. All of a sudden, we needed $40 million. And because our sense of purpose was so big, because our core values were so so deep in us, and because uh, our BHAG was so outrageous, ages yet seemed possible. They wanted to come along. It was noble cause and they wanted to come along and make a difference. And they actually did come along. I am a payday lender, a pawnbroker, a predator. They're coming beside us and saying, let's, um, let's help out. And four years later, we're a much better organization for them coming along. They changed it because they gave us that, they gave us that, um, they gave us that name 
they gave us a firecracker. They built this bank account. They did all that kind of stuff. So I'm saying is, um, you know what, life. It, there's going to be a lot of a lot of things. Those are lessons in the school of hard knocks. Uh, but you got to hold on tight. And if your purpose is good, if your purpose is good, if you're not worried about the profit that shows up in your pocket every day, but you're rather saying, how do I make a difference? This business has enough of the right levers in it. You will make money. If you go the other way around, I think you might you might go broke. I see guys, I fear for them because I fear that they are going broke just one little inch at a time sort of thing. But if they would learn, especially in this sector, to serve the client with that deep passion, I just don't think you go broke. I think the guy next door to you is saying, how the hell is he doing that? We've had businesses that we charge more than the guy next door, yet our business grew three times what his grew. Even though we charged more, why? Why? Because, well, you know what, Deanna, I asked Deanna to go in. I said, Deanna, do you think, you know how this pawn business works. I said, a bit of what happens is what happens, people come in and they wear their life on their cuffs, but a bit of what happens is there's a little bit of entertainment that happens in that story. And you understand that. Could I get you to go in and I'll give you special powers to give away free loans in the stores and then you get people in so you can show the people in the stores what entertainment looks like so they can feel that and smell that and understand that and gain that passion. And I said, listen, even my wife's a Polish princess. What I would like to make you is the pawn princess. Could I, can I give you a crown and you wear a tiara and a gown? And she said, oh, yeah, I could do that. And so we, we gave her little coupons to give away free loans. And she put on a crown and she became the pawn princess. She went around to stores. And you know what happened is because she was so, she gave away free loans and she helped the kids. Because she had such a passion publicly in front, it turned into not being a training thing for the staff. As much as it turned out, she became a celebrity in the stores they were coming to see her get her autograph from the pawn princess she at christmas time was going and delivering things with a guy dressed up as santa uh delivering things to people making people's wishes to come true doing that pay it forward kind of stuff in the community that actually made the difference and that's why people came in and were willing to pay us five percent more than anybody else and they kept on dropping the prices at the other places saying well why the heck aren't they coming across the street well they're not coming across the street because you guys are about the money and we're not about the money we're about making a difference and, and there did i that's how you get over those issues and but none of them are easy to get over yeah. all of them are all of them are lessons and all of them you have to say i'm grateful for the opportunity to learn and one day this too shall pass that's the best i can say i want to i want to make sure that i have permission from you to to ask a couple more questions we're at 52 minutes i can do three hours oh i'm this. so sorry no 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 no, yeah. no 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 i'm loving every moment of this this is so much value. I told you, I feel like I'm sitting in a masterclass of leadership. So this You're is kind. incredible. And I think that the listeners, I know the listeners will get so much value from this. You, you touched on like the pawn princess, a little bit of branding there. I see on your lapel, you've got the arrow. On your name tag, you've got the arrow. I'm looking at your website. You guys have the arrow and the colors. How important has branding been to the mission of Cashco Financial? You know, it comes second, not first. Uh, you build who you are first, and then someone comes along and says, you, you're not very distinct. And, uh, you know, the School of Hard Knocks, I've, I've rebuilt that brand. We, I don't see me. That's uh, Sorry, I shouldn't say me at all. We built, we have, re, that you should lose that word in your leadership. I is not important. It's not a word you need. We have rebuilt that brand 
maybe four times. And the final one, and the final one, the current one is our most successful one when we actually outsourced it and got somebody else to help us. We did have some colors. They helped us with the color palette. They helped us with the arrow. We were a little bit not modern enough uh, sort of thing. We uh, And we had split by that time into Cash on one side and Cash Canada on the other side. And we were just working redoing the Cash Canada one when I sold out to uh, John Thedford and his group uh, sort of thing. So, And they liked the Canadian way it was already shown. They didn't want to change it uh, sort of thing. I think this, that we, you and I, if we're doing this thing right, what we're really doing is we're, we're building a cult brand. Think of us as a cult brand. Don't think of us. We, but so we want to build something that's really identifiable. That is, that people can say that they, I get it. That, that's I know them. Like Apple, for example. You know Apple. You know Apple. Even if you don't know Apple, you know Apple. And so, you need to spend a little bit of time at that a time on that at the right time. You need to get rid of the cheesy balls and all that kind of stuff. You need to get yourself current and relevant, and you need to do something that makes you uh, connectable. So we really challenged ourselves on the name and, and I was challenged to change the name, uh, sort of thing, but we, we thought our clients know cash co, uh, sort of thing, but we were said, you know what, it sounds like, you know, cash money, cash now money, mark money, this It's too, it's all the same. And there is good validity to that, but at the same time, we still held on to it because it defined, our people, our people understood that that's what it was. But then we updated the thing. The name tag, I'm incredibly bad with names. It says that about 40 staff members, you really can't remember it. I probably was long before that in my memory. <laughs> uh, one year, so we so we do name tags, mainly so I come in in the morning and I can look down, oh yeah, I'm Tim. Uh, <laughs> I am him. Uh, you know, one year at Christmas party, I said to somebody, I said, listen, every, uh, everybody's coming to the Christmas party. There's so many people I'm going to be overwhelmed. I need a handler, somebody to tell me everybody's name. And I want you to put name tags on everyone, uh, sort of thing. And then, all the ladies came with gowns on and they had sticker name tags that they put right above their, their, their chest. And my wife gave me a whack at the end, halfway through the night. You know, her name is Betty. You've seen her three times. Stop looking at her name. Anyway, I, uh, it wasn't a good solution either, but I, I do find I do have, I have to have Deanna was, for example, a wonderful handler for me who would say, Tim, this is who this is. And this is how long they've been with us. And this is something about them. And as much as you want to get it right, you know, it's hard because when you get over 40, 50, and if you don't have, I, I have a pretty darn good memory. The only problem is, is I'm on dial up. And so I remember about two o'clock in the morning is when I get the darn stuff. So it's a little bit too late. So you need a handler around or somebody so that you can get it right. So that you can be a great leader for the people. That's your job. Uh, sort of thing is to be a leader and to be a leader, you need to connect. You know, one of the things that we have now, we're talking, we didn't talk a lot about transparency uh, sort of thing about robust communication. Uh, you know, there's there's kind of a lot of conversation on this, but used to be the rule of seven uh, sort of thing. I would hold up seven right now uh, sort of thing, the rule of seven. But today's day and age, because of the way everybody consumes things and in small little bites and so forth, that rule has changed. It's now the rule of 16. And so the deal is, is you need to tell people and share with people and appreciate with people 16 times before they get it, not seven and so if you think you've so shared the story or you've done this or done that you know start again because i'll guarantee you, you haven't got to 16 and the miscommunication is unbelievable so we, uh, 
as a leader, your job is to communicate. Your job is to have a very robust communication, vigorous, fiercely communicate with the people. And what I started doing, and I'm going to share this part too, because I think this is part of the MBWA's issue too, is you should share your books and your financial results with everybody. Think of yourself as a public company and just share it. Don't be ashamed of how much you made. Stand proud of how much you made and realize that you made that after doing good. Not a, if you are worried about you and all about you and it's doing well, you'll hide your books. If you are worried about doing the right thing out there, you'll share your books and you'll stand proud for what you make. And I think that's part of the problem of this uh, in being uh, communicating robustly. Everybody knows everything around here, and I won't allow them not to know anything. I don't want any rumors, any gossip started around. We have a meeting every morning. We have a super tight daily meeting every morning where we'll hit everything that's happening. We'll have a core value story to start it out, uh, sort of thing that takes 10 seconds or 30 seconds. They're amazing because it says, I saw Deanna do uh, communicate honestly when she told Tim this. It tells people how core values work and how to use them for good, not for evil. But here's the other thing is we go through some KPIs and here's some numbers, boom, 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 and we share some numbers. And our financials are completely open. Everybody knows exactly how much we made and nobody holds any begrudging. And if we didn't make any money and when Andy when the NDP government came in, we lost $10 million in the course of about 13 months. Uh, so I think people knew that too, uh, sort of thing. And when they, when, you know, we're struggling and I'm coming in and today and I'm saying, March, 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 that, you know, we're marching because that number up there is in trouble and we got to get that number back up so we can sustain ourselves. Uh, sort of thing. People marched and people held in there, even though they were, even though they knew that we were in troubled water and we we're in troubled times. And I think that's the value of, uh, transparency with a noble cause, uh, sort of thing, vivid vision, great people, and a rigorous, robust communication stuff, that daily meetings, those, those different strategies. And there I go. I rest my case. Love it. Two more questions and, I'm, and, I'm, and we're done. Okay. Uh, first question is, um, a lot of people listen to this over, you know, 2000 downloads a month. What's the one thing that a single shop operator should implement after they listen to this? Oh, sorry. Start ask that again. So, yeah, a lot of people are. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of people who download this. We have uh, 39 oh, countries yeah. listening. Over 2,200 people download this every single month. Oh my What's goodness. One, I mean, there was a lot of information. What's the one thing they should do? They need to do after this podcast stops. Oh. You know, and I, I do this. I, I have a bookshelf of books uh, here. I give away books all the time. There's a bookshelf of books yeah. uh, sort of thing. And I replenish it all the time. Uh, if you should, be a be you should be a student of best practice junkies and you should go build yourself first. And if you don't have a mission statement, you should do it. And if you don't know how, you should buy the seven habits. And I give away the seven habits lots. The first 80 pages are hard reading. Most people slug through them, don't do very well. They do better after the 80 pages. And out of 100 books I give away, if two people write a mission statement, if two people write a mission statement, it's amazing. It's amazing, but wow, those two people that write the, that write the mission statement changes their lives, and they become better people, better leaders, better family, better husbands, better wives. One guy told me the other day, my, I, I wrote my mission statement, my daughter, 
who's a little bit uh, struggling and she's in her late 20s, called me. I said, you got to write a mission statement. She wrote a mission statement. She phoned him back, thanked him for it. You need to, you need to get firmly in your mind who you are. And if you don't have that, then who, what the heck are you doing leading? You're just there making money. So whatever uh, sort of thing. So if you want to make a difference, if you want to make a difference, go build that person that's up at the top first, tone them from the top. And I'm not saying I'm amazing. I'm a working project. Uh, my wife will confirm for you uh, <laughs> sort of thing. But I'm saying if you don't get some of that right, if you don't get that, if you don't address some of those issues, you will be, you will come in. It'll be about you. You will have ego. I, I say I end my, I have a Thursday chat, uh, Tim Talk on Thursday. It's just kind of an open office. We zoom it out to everybody. And I end it with this. I, list, I say I wish upon you three things because I think these are the three building blocks that are so critical to, I wish upon you three things. I wish that you can have a, a lot of gratitude that you can be grateful because grateful being grateful can make a difference. It can make a small little meal into a feast uh, sort of thing. So I wish upon you gratitude, the attitude of gratitude, having gratefulness changes everything. It changes the way you look at it, changes the harshness into softness. There is something magical about gratitude. I wish upon you a lot of gratitude. And the second thing I wish upon you, and especially for us guys, because we have so much trouble with it, I wish upon you the ability to be humble. And because us guys, especially, we're so full of testosterone in ourselves, especially in our 30s. I, I don't know how anybody hung around me. I can only imagine, thank <laughs> goodness, they didn't have social media because that arrogance and ego is difficult. And it's hard on people around, and it's also hard on you. You just don't know it yet. So get try to be humble. Try to find humble. That doesn't mean be meek or weak or any of that kind of stuff. It means be humble. Don't be bragging. Get to, Let your ego get behind you instead of in front of you. Get out in front. And then the third piece that I wish upon everybody is I wish upon them a sense of selflessness. I say I do my best work. I do my best leadership. I do my best management. On the days I come in, then it's not about me. I'm saying, how do I make a difference for you? And it's not my agenda I'm serving. It's you in front of me or you the client in front of me how do I make a difference for you those are the days that I become an amazing manager and I try hard to do them and I don't always succeed but then when you can be selfless those days when you can be selfless those days can make a difference and the reason I wish those upon you because here's what those things are there's some magic in those three things when you put them together when you put gratitude out there you get the letter J and when you put humility out there you get the letter O and when you put selflessness out there you get the letter Y so if you can put those three things out there, I wish upon you a whole bunch of joy. Go out and enjoy it. And with that, we're ending the podcast. That was brilliant, Tim. Thank you so much. I am both grateful, humbled. I don't know what I'm going to do with selfless, but we'll figure it out. But I'm so happy uh, you decided to come on the show. Like I said, I felt like I went through a master's class in leadership. Um, I'm, I can't imagine working under a leader like yourself. Um, even though your, your wife might say differently. But uh, thank you once again from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to do this. You're much too kind. Keep making a difference. Thank you much. Well, thank you.